Welcome to another episode of Stories from the Atlantic, where we are going to have a seat on a bench. I'm your host, Svavar Jonathanson. This bench has become a sort of waypoint in my life, like a cairn guiding the way onwards, as long as I sit there patiently. This bench wasn't of any particular importance to me until recently, when I began to sit on it from time to time. It's located halfway between my local swimming pool and apartment, just east of downtown Reykjavik, the capital of Iceland. The location is conducive to my pattern of moving around, and it's clean. It's by a road, so I can watch the cars go by. And last but not least, it's by a bus stop and a campsite. This means there's a lot of international traffic, almost like an international airport, and it's actually used frequently, something that can rarely be said about most benches in the city of Reykjavik. On this particular brown wooden bench, the ruling generic type, I have for the last months sat down at various times, watched, listened, and waited. For what I was waiting for, or listening for, I couldn't specify, but I soon found the approach, just sitting there, to be an interesting way to have an experience and share something from it in this podcast. So this bench has become the Atlantic bench. My first sitting was completely without a firm idea of how to approach the collection of material, and so I let my mind wander in a mix of observations and the thoughts that followed. My grandmother has always remembered the license plates of most relatives' cars, randomly bringing up an assortment of letters and numbers throughout the years. As I watched the cars pass, I realized how little my mind could register and how, until my 20s, before the arrival of cell phones, I actually remembered dozens of phone numbers including my friends Ari, Eiki, Gulli, Frosti, Rappi, Axel, Einar, Loftus, Siki, Arnar, two of them, along with my own number and some close relatives. Is there still a need for that sort of memory? A young man driving a Toyota Land Cruiser had headphones on, and a camper van rolled into the campsite, parking as a young woman crossed the street and seemed to be crying in the late afternoon of July. Two bumblebees flew around the bench as a middle-aged man drove by on a beautiful vintage Honda motorcycle, dressed the part in jeans and leather jacket, small black helmet and goggles to perfect the look that seemed to jump out of a Calvin Klein commercial. A 25-year-old Toyota Corolla drives by and a woman walks by holding her purse and phone close to her face, walking in fixed directions, back and forth, obviously looking for something. I thought about how lost we seem to be at times, in the middle of the digital revolution and information age of accuracy, still looking lost, searching, roaming and wandering, looking for something, somewhere. She didn't seem to care for help, and I didn't care to offer. There was an amazing soundscape developing around me. A red Tesla man on a motorcycle, dressed in those ugly but I guess useful neon yellow vests, a VW RV, a Hyundai H1 with a box on the roof, I love those, and someone honking their horn. It all played the part in the traffic symphony for which I had a front row seat. An RV of the brand Concorde 
with Swiss license plates, a piece of crap car whose driver doesn't know how to work the clutch properly, and then a refreshing sight as a young man walks past, intensely looking straight ahead, no phone in hand, no headphones, no distraction, just wearing a t-shirt with Dewey from Family Guy saying, I've stopped listening, why haven't you stopped talking? An old Volvo with the license plate R50005. The shirt of a young man catches my attention with the words Social Order, April 13th, 1991, Le Marais, 3rd and 4th month in Paris. After a brief talk with Sam, an Australian on a six-month European trip, it becomes clear that the only symbolic thing he wears is a necklace of Norse runes. So I'm Australian. Uh, not quite sure how to answer how I relate to Norway. Like, I guess I feel like I probably share culture with Norwegians. Like, I've got Norwegian friends back home in Australia and I get along with them pretty well. But I would like to go someday, especially because like, I'm in Iceland and it's so close. But it's, yeah, I don't know. In Australia, like race isn't really an issue, so like people speak about it openly. And some people call me fishmonger because I like eating fish. <laughs> so even then, I don't eat that much fish. It's kind of like being Australian. It's really weird because my mom speaks Norwegian, and I've always wanted to speak Norwegian, but there's no one else to speak it to. So you kind of lose out on that culture when you grow up in Australia. I think it's the same with like Americans. Like once you migrate away from where you are, you kind of lose the language and the culture. It's like I look a bit different from other Australians, but then I'm also ginger, so people will... You could say that's probably, uh, we say that's Irish connection. Yeah, red yeah. Hair, red hair in Iceland, we say Irish yeah, genes. Yeah, that's, yeah, same in Australia. Generally, if you've got red hair, it's generally Irish or Scottish. So uh, you, you being here in Iceland, are you kind of making your way slowly to Norway? Is it part of a, a, mm. a path towards uh, connecting with Norway? Maybe, I've been traveling for like six months. So I've still got like two months left to make my decision up. So hopefully I will eventually get to Norway. I'd like to go to Bergen because that's where my granddad was born, just to see where he was born. But other than that, that's all I really expect from it. I don't like have anything that I'd really desire to see. So there's no alternative universe where you basically are, are resettling in Norway. Is there a part of you that thinks like, maybe yeah, I just definitely. Move to there's like a part of me that goes like, oh, what if I what if I was Norwegian or like what if my family like never moved out of Norway? It's yeah. But I, I tend not to think about it too much. Like, Australia is a nice country as well. Like, I don't mind being Australian. It's pretty good. Yeah, I can't say. I'm only 18, so I can't say I see myself moving there anytime soon. But maybe in the future. Thank you so much. This was uh, fascinating. No worries. Your name, does it, does uh, it Sam. have a... Sam. Yeah. I, I was going to say, does it have a Norwegian ring to it? Nah, it's just Samuel. My um, mum wanted to name me and... She's got three sons, and she wanted to name me and my brothers... What's it? Bjorn, Ulf and Sigurd. But then my dad is British, so he was like, no, no, we, we're in Australia. Like, he was like, if we're living in Norway, that's fine, but we're in Australia. So you got to go with, like, traditional names that are kind of international. So she went with Sam, Tom and Will, because, like, you can kind of use them anywhere around the world. Like, I've been to India and I've met Sam, Tom and Will, so I'm kind of like, okay, that's, it's just a name. Like, it's not really got any cultural significance. My patience with taking notes of my surrounding Fades after the red wing jumping in the bushes behind me, the set of white mushrooms next to the bench, a car with a bomb. So, 
I just get up from an Atlantic bench and make my way to the swing pool on a July 13 afternoon. A few days later, on July 16th, the sun was out and I had rushed to the bench to enjoy the last rays, as had a young woman who came walking down the street, holding an ice cream and smiling, laughing at something she was listening to. I asked her what she was listening to, which to her must have been a silent moving of my lips until she took off her headphones. What had made her laugh seconds earlier was called The Guilty Feminist, a podcast in panel discussion form by women on issues of feminism and the real-life hiccups they face trying to stay true to their convictions. Secondly, I asked what kind of ice cream she'd gotten. This is not to say that I think ice cream flavors are more important than feminism, just for the record. A blueberry mango sorbet which reminded her of a Tom and Jerry ice cream from childhood, though she couldn't pinpoint what flavor exactly related to it the strongest. The rarity of sunshine sparked small talk about the weather this summer, which turns out has had dramatic effects on her work. She works for the city's plant nursery, which due to the near constant rain this summer, has suffered the loss of young plants and the need to throw away large quantities of plants. The effects on the staff, she said, were pretty clear, with a sense of sadness hanging in the air in the greenhouse. She was new at the job and enjoyed it. She said all the plants that the city of Reykjavik puts down in public spaces, next to roads and along bike paths, all of it, comes from this place, the place she works. The big poplars growing behind an Atlantic bench, reaching 40 feet easily above our heads, came from the city plant nursery, most likely. This discovery was one of those small, of course, moments, but still with a sparkle of amazement. The next topic of conversation among me and Sirun Eir was the news and her attempts to be more up-to-date on current affairs. Her reason, though, was intriguing, partly focused on being knowledgeable about today's events so that in the future, if her future kids would ask her what was going on back in 2018, she would not be clueless. This came both from her experience of asking her parents about certain events to which they had limited recollection and a desire to be able to enlighten her kids with a personal yet historical insight. I'd actually never thought of that angle, but the more I think about it, the more valuable and relevant it seems. There is, of course, the Internet. But it will not connect the various dots that come from one person's experience, situation. For example, what was the mood and economic situation in Iceland when Gorbachev and Reagan met at the peace summit in Hövde in 1986? From that, a question of how you react to the news now came up. Some 
rauninni mynda sér ekki almennilega skoðun á neinu að vera bara já, æ, það er bara þannig. Veist, mér það ekki vera sama og vera taka öllum að jafna ekki. Þú mátt samt hafa skoðun og mátt vera pyrraður eða pyrraður eða pyrraður. The idea of a calm disposition towards events of life could verge on apathy, she said. Where not having an opinion might give a sense of calm, but was not the same as being even-tempered. She thinks it's okay to react, to have an opinion, and in some cases to be irritated at the way things are. The issue of apathy, lack of interest in a world of likes and online petitions, is probably a bigger issue than we realize. In Iceland, the issues of climate change, wars, drugs, refugees and corrupt politicians is of course present. But at times of economic boom, which is happening right now, such issues do not seem to make people react very much. A few weeks later, our Prime Minister Katrin Jakobsdottir would make climate change a key focus in her opening speech at the start of Parliament, an issue to address just like the nation had addressed and succeeded when it came to the issue of equality. Leaving the issue of Iceland's carbon footprint aside, but it's huge just for the record, the tide has somewhat shifted away from tackling climate change, if you judge it by President Trump's words and the sale of pickup trucks in the US and in Iceland. Our conversation had actually reached that same issue, and we somehow got to speak about the influential documentary by Leonardo DiCaprio, before the flood. It's a well-made documentary that she feels affected a lot of people, mainly because of the role model and or fame of DiCaprio, who in the movie brings together leading experts, world leaders and scientists. At the start of the documentary, just about to address the UN as a special messenger of peace on the issue of climate change, he admits he might be the wrong guy for the job because of how pessimist he is for the future. What follows is an enlightening, well-made and well-produced, influential message for global and individual awareness and action. Fine. The science, the climate denying, the funding of politicians by fossil fuel companies, the situation in China, India, US are among the issues, and the finger is pointed toward fossil fuel, palm oil and beef production, just to name a few. One of the key findings of the documentary is the fact that those least responsible for climate change will feel the effects the most, meaning the poor, developed nations, and the risk to world stability is huge when inhabitants of low-lying regions must, at some point, start to resettle with rising oceans. We've known about this for decades, for over half a century. Try to have a conversation. It's a powerful movie, no doubt about it, which in the end puts a mirror to our own lives, what we do, what and how we consume. DiCaprio's extensive use of private jets certainly casts a shadow on that message. But as of 2017, after being grilled for arriving in a private jet to an event on climate change, his reaction was to announce the end of his days traveling on private jets. Me and Sigrun Eir, far from the jet-setters of the world, agreed that batnandi mönnum er best að lifa, an Icelandic saying about how it's best to live while bettering yourself. We discussed the new Sasa Baron Cohen documentary, Who is America?, 
where the seemingly unthinkable, at least to Europeans, happens when respected politicians, grown individuals, agree with a fake Israeli defense expert that children aged three, I repeat, children aged three, should be able to carry guns. And with that, I said goodbye to Seyroneir and left the bench. On August 17, I sat down on the bench on a mild and warm afternoon turning to evening. I took silent note of my surroundings, including the reckless driving of a Suzuki Vitara, whose driver was obviously passing down horrible driving skills to his teenage son, a young man in a leather jacket staring at his phone while walking past me, a ploy to not be asked a question as he must have noticed my recorder, a thought that perhaps says more about me than the reality around me. As the sun got lower, its rays still strong, every person that walked by entered the cinematic scene of lighting. The ones that came walking from the east down the road called Sundlögavegur entered the golden light that for some reason made the nuances of their character stand out or what I perceived those elements to be. I could actually see individual strands of hair and their facial expressions became clear, more animated, for those few moments they walked by. Then there was a split moment when the lighting changed and they turned to silhouettes walking away, so cinematic that it felt like a hybrid of an Alfred Hitchcock and Terence Malik movie. The stage was cinema, theater and catwalk all combined and I was the casting director. But these were all extras in the scene. A loud Dodge Ram pickup truck drove past. A man, perhaps in his late 40s, early 50s, was driving the black car and a woman sat on top of him, kissing him intensely as he cruised past the bench. A smile could be seen on the man's face. That would stand out as a highlight of the afternoon traffic and my notes seemed insignificant after such a scene. When the car did return, the main actress was no longer in it. A strange turn of events, like a mistake in some kind of a Truman Show movie, but my attention shifted as a large bus, capable of crossing deep glacier rivers, drove up in front of me. Among the passengers getting off were three young men and a woman who seemed in high spirits. They all had hiking gear, large backpacks, and spoke Dutch. After a short introduction, Matisse agreed to sit down on the bench with me and share some of his memories from a recent trek up in the remote Hornstranded region of the northwest. The first five days hiking in Hornstranded, there was almost nobody there. I met two families that were staying for the, uh, the summer in the, their holiday, uh, summer house there, and they actually left because the season was gone. Um, and after four days, I entered the national park. And then slowly I uh, encountered uh, a few hikers every day. So you said you, you like to hike alone. Yeah. What does it give you? How do you feel when you're alone out in nature? Uh, back home I'm a social worker. I work with homeless people and drug addicts. So my job is to talk all day with people about problems and, and stuff like that. And being alone in nature, just that's, that's like the perfect holiday for me to, to free my mind, to let everything go, uh, get in touch with myself and, and just enjoy nature 
and being me, <laughs> technically. <laughs> the nice thing about hiking for me is that I totally like it's almost like a, like when I hike for 10 days it's a 10 day medi uh, medi uh, meditation like when I, I'm physically walking I don't think about anything if I have a tra uh, train of thought then I fall over or slip or things happen so my, my brain has to be totally empty and I hike for eight nine ten days uh, hours a day so that's one of the most brilliant things to not think about anything just be in the moment for that that amount of hours for a whole day. That's beautiful. And how how many years ago did you start hiking? I mean, when did you get into that activity? Uh, three years ago, I was in uh, New Zealand. I was traveling around for nine months in Southeast Asia. And uh, in New Zealand, I just tried a three, four day, a four day hike. Loved it. Did a five day hike. Loved it even more, and in the end, I started hiking for four and a half months all over New Zealand. And I, technically, I never stopped. <laughs> so before that, what did you have to unwind and relax, and you know, get a retreat from your work and, and daily, daily life? Smoke shitloads of pot. <laughs> Fair enough. And I, I still, I still do that, but like, that, that's. Like when I'm back home, that's that's a good way to just let everything loose and and uh, get in touch with with yourself in a moment again. I asked Matisse of a moment or experience that stood out from his solo trip up in Hortstrandir. One of the most special moments was when I woke up in a campsite and the, it was totally foggy. Like I couldn't, I knew I had to uh, navigate to a, a lake, couldn't see the lake. I knew that there was a big swamp in the, the area between two mountains. Couldn't see the other mountain I was go supposed to go over. Uh, there was this small, um, how do you call that, saddle in the in the mountain where I was supposed to uh, to cross, and that was the only possibility because the rest was just steep cliffs. So I had no idea <laughs> how to find the opening or whatever, and I just sat there, smoked a cigarette. Suddenly there was. Uh, kind of wind coming into the, the, the valley and I just had 10 seconds to look uh, where the, the saddle was, set my compass and just went straight up because the, the fog was back immediately and I actually thought I, I wouldn't have made it without this 10 seconds of wind. <laughs> I was on top of the mountain and I was like okay it was like being lucky fun or what 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 the hell is looking after me so what the fuck <laughs> and i i have shitloads of what the fuck moments when i'm hiking and so my afternoon on the bench ended at the end of august i sat on the bench Around 8 p.m., as a bus was letting out the large group of Spanish hikers, they were all smiles. The bus was green, with a strange set of photographs on the side, with a border like a strip of 35mm film. The photos were of the glacier Gijukut, after the eruption in 2010, which had both broken the steep outlet glacier and drained the large lagoon that used to be at the bottom of it. The photos had the clear look of destruction, which I thought fitting to my own mood heavy and on one level shattered. 
As the bus left, everything quiets down. Small moments appear, like a mother pushing her son, who seems to be learning how to bike, and the random passing of cars. On the bench next to me was a large hiking backpack with a monkey teddy bear sticking out of the back pocket. Its owner, a German woman in her 30s, I guessed, had moments earlier been talking happily with two other women who had come off the bus with her. Now she stood with a worried look, gazing intently down the street. After a few lame attempts at speaking German by me, it was clear that she was waiting for the bus to the airport, and that it was by now five minutes late. Her anxiety strangely grew to the point where she seemed to be crying, her words distinctly chaotic. It was the strangest thing. Not for the reaction itself, as she could have been tired, worried, with a connecting flight or any set of reasons, who am I to say, but only for the fact that earlier that day I'd been crying for the first time in a long while. My crying came from a personal relationship, friendship of sorts, questions that were answered, and the sadness of what those answers meant to the journey of life. And here I was, five hours later, with a woman on the verge of crying for reasons wholly impersonal. In this situation, it seemed easy to solve the problem. I called the bus company and asked them about the status of the airport bus. It's on its way, delayed slightly with other pickups. Minutes went by, with a German woman still standing, waiting, somewhat worried, but now she wasn't crying. The bus arrived, the woman carried on her life, on track, at least regarding transportation. Shortly afterwards, a young man sat down, calm, and played the game on his phone. Uh, but so basically, purpose is... Uh it's a free-to-play game, but of course you can buy some uh, some additional stuff in the game. And purpose is to build the best uh, team, uh, considering the different characteristics of characters. And to progress in the game, you just have to play little games which are based on uh, puzzle games. As companionship was on my mind, I asked Matt from Belgium who he would most like to spend time with right now and what he would do. Sure, I think I would, if I had 15 minutes, I would grab a coffee and uh, probably discuss holidays that I had and that my friends had. Uh, with whom? Discuss with whom? Um, my friends at home, so in Belgium. Uh, I'm from Belgium, by the way. Would you pick one friend or are there many? Would you like to be three, four of you together? Uh, probably would be like four, five people. Probably people from... Uh, I have a ring of person I studied with at university and I lived one year with them. So we like together once in a while, so probably with them would be perfect. When I clarified the idea behind my question, that is, if he could have any person sit next to him on this bench, right then and there, his answer carried an important reminder. Ah, oh, yes, so probably no. The, the best thing would be to speak to the people around me, like you or anyone. Uh, so I'm sorry I picked your ID, but uh, <laughs> that's the most I can do uh, right now. It's perfect. You've actually you've made it perfect. <laughs> the power and beauty of the now, 
probably also a title of a self-help book, of course, but in this case, it was being asked a question for a podcast on a bench before leaving the city and the country he'd been visiting. I'm not saying the bench will become my salvation or solution to everything, but I do feel that it has a lot to offer. To me, it represents a fixed point from where I can talk to people about whatever is on my mind, and also it gives me a sense of calm and focus. The Atlantic bench still gives us all the randomness and coincidences of different people and their outlook, only here they come directly to me. Does this mean I've turned it into a podcast version of a Venus flytrap? Have I just changed the bench into a place of ambush, a story trap? If so, I hope you've enjoyed the catch of stories and insights of this episode. We end this episode of Stories from the Atlantic with a bench sitting in September in the silence. For 15 minutes, I sat next to a woman waiting for the airport bus. I had the recorder up and was taking occasional notes. I decided not to ask her anything and see if she would talk to me, the stranger on the bench, with the recorder talking a strange language to himself. Nothing. Perhaps I looked a little bit crazy. Just silence. Until she got on the bus and looked back and said, Goodbye. Goodbye. Have a good trip.